Hey, happy Valentine's Day to everybody. I hope that you're having a great day today and that the service is inspiring you and, and helping you connect with God in better ways. Today, we celebrate all around the world, we celebrate Valentine's Day. But, but in Mexico, it's actually really special because it's not just romantic love that we celebrate. In Mexico, it's called El Dia del Amor y la Amistad. We, we talk about love and friendship. It's about love and friendship, what we celebrate today in Mexico. So that's why I want to celebrate with you. Let's celebrate love. Let's celebrate friendship. When those two words come to my mind, you know who I think of? You guessed it. It's Jesus. Yeah, because who is the greatest, most amazing, intimate, powerful love that we have? And who is our best friend? At least for me, Jesus is my best friend. So obviously, I think of my wife. I think of my parents. I think of friends that I want to celebrate and celebrate love with. But the one that I think the most that embodies those two words at his best is King Jesus. He embodies love. He embodies friendship. So that's why I think it's an opportune thing to celebrate him today and every day. But if the world is celebrating love and friendship, why don't we also celebrate love and friendship? The only one that can do that and embody that is King Jesus. And that's exactly what we've been talking about, right? We've been talking about how King Jesus has like done all of these things. We talked about how he was birthed and then we looked at his life all the way to his enthronement and then we looked at his charge and then we looked last week at the presence of the king that continues with us to this day. But what I want to talk to us today is what fueled that, that charge, what fueled that presence, what fueled that mission? How was Jesus, how is our king continuously going even though when things get so tough? And today, let's tackle that. What gave Jesus the crack? What gave Jesus the opportunity to keep going, that motivation? And I think we're, we're going to find something really special and really, really powerful. So if you join me in your Bible to the book of Luke, we're going to read from Luke chapter 11. And we're going to take most of our lesson from here. And we're going to look at this really interesting lesson, a really interesting story. I don't know if you've ever paid attention to it before. But what, what the Luke narrates here, it's, it's really interesting. So let's go. Luke chapter 11 from verse 1. I'm going to start reading. It says, Once Jesus was in a certain place praying, and as he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. Did you catch that? Teach us to pray. I mean, why would they ask that? If you've been around Jesus for so long, if you've seen him make miracles and feed thousands of people, you've seen him maybe resurrect Lazarus from the dead, you've seen him preach powerful sermons that motivate people, you've seen it start a movement in town after town, community after community, heal broken hearts and heal physical illnesses. Would you ask Jesus this? If you could ask him to teach you one thing, I mean, one of, maybe like me, you would be like, Jesus, teach me how to heal or teach me how to preach better in order for people to actually listen. But the disciples taught, uh, were asking to be taught how to pray. Don't you think that's odd, and, but at the same time, really amazing? Teach us to pray. And don't get me wrong, it's not like the disciples didn't know how to pray. If anything, Jews know how to pray. The Jews pray every evening and every morning. They pray the Shema. They talk about their devotion to God. And also, apart from that, there's another prayer at around 3 o'clock in the afternoon and sometimes in the morning and the evenings as well. They pray this thing called the Amidah, which is about like 19 like benedictions, 19 blessings that they honor God and they want to show their devotion to God. 
in, in, apart from maybe other personal kinds of prayer, I wonder how many of them prayed the Psalms and, and really had a constant relationship going with God. So Jews know how to pray. But there was something so amazing about the way Jesus prayed that when they see him, that he went to pray and he comes back, we're like, what was that? We, we want to learn how to do that. And it's not odd for them to ask their rabbi how to pray. Every rabbi teaches their disciples how to pray. I mean, John taught his disciples and every other rabbi through the centuries has taught their disciples how to pray. It was a way for the rabbi to kind of help the disciples ingrain the, the teaching that he wanted to do and also to help them concise and put together all of the prayers that they were praying every day. So it's not an odd thing that he that they ask him, teach us to pray. But what I think it's remarkable is that Jesus' way of prayer was probably so different than they've ever seen. It was probably way closer. It was probably more vivid, more, I don't know, experiential in some way that they thought, hey, we need to learn how to pray. We might know how to pray, but, but we need to learn. And I don't know if you've ever experienced that. Have you ever been in the presence of someone who just feels like it's talking to God face to face? Well, imagine hearing God himself come human praying. And then Jesus teaches them how to pray. Let's carry on in verse two. Jesus said, this is how you should pray. Don't you think it's awesome that Jesus didn't give them a workshop on the 10 steps to a perfect prayer or tell them all of these tips and regulations and methodology of how to pray? I mean, they had enough liturgy as it goes, but it's so amazing that Jesus just gets up and prays. And he's like, when you pray, pray like this. And don't get me wrong, like what, what we're going to read is an amazing prayer, but I don't want to focus necessarily on the words. Even though we're going to read them, I don't want to focus on the words because it could get really boring. You might have heard enough sermons about that. I mean, I could get excited and I could kind of share all the things that I've been learning about how Jesus's prayer is actually a very Jewish prayer and how it really is linked up to the Amidah and the benedictions and blessings that the Jews would normally make and how... Actually, Jesus is putting all of that together in one short prayer to help the disciples ingrain that. But, but you might get bored and, and like it's a boring, long lesson. But rather than looking at the specific words, what I want us to look at today is three little things that we can learn of Jesus's prayer. But not the words, but his prayer life, the kind of prayer that he makes, the kind of prayers that he's constantly making, the kind of life that he has constantly in prayer. So please, let's keep reading in verse 2. Jesus told, this is how you should pray. Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food that we need and forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who sin against us and lead us not into temptation. Powerful prayer. And I know there's a ma many, many sermons out there, and I'm sure you have heard many of them, of why each thing, simple thing uh, Jesus put as he put. But I want to focus, like I said, three little things. The first one, is, it's here in verse 2. Jesus prays for God's kingdom to come, for God's rule and reign to come, for God's will to be done here in our realm, in our dimension, in the, in the same way that God's will is done in the dimension of heaven, in his dimension. I mean, think about it. How quickly do you think God's will gets done in heaven? 
How quickly do you think the spiritual beings obey God in his realm? When Jesus is asking us and teaching us to pray with that kind of mindset that as much as people obey you, as much as those beings obey you, as much as your will gets done on your realm, God, we need you to get your will done here on earth, our realm. I think the first thing that I see is that Jesus had a prayer life that was mission-minded. Everything that he did was mission-minded, including his prayer life. His prayer life reflected that the very most important thing in his mind and heart were, let's carry out the mission, let's show the world that there's actually hope and restoration in God. Let's show them that you can bind broken hearts like in Luke chapter 4 and free those who are captive and take care of those who are lonely and God's mission is constantly at work. And Jesus says, let's pray for that mission to be done. So let me ask you, what what do your prayers reflect? Well, what are we, you and I, constantly praying about? Is it God's mission or is it more like our side mission that we want to get fulfilled? And once that one's fulfilled, then I'll get to God's. What, What am I praying about? Couldn't we be praying for more of God's rule and reign in our lives? Imagine if we prayed for more of God making us more humble and more selfless and more generous and more compassionate. Imagine if we prayed if God helped us be more evangelistic so that wherever we go, we share the good news of people. Imagine if God helped, we prayed for God to help us see the needs out there. And even if we, like, even if it's crazy or risky, we go and meet those needs, the needs for restoration, the need for hope, the need for healing. If we pray for our marriages, our the, the broken marriages at home, if we pray for our kids, or maybe if we are single, if we pray for God to not let us get distracted by all that the world let, wants us to suck in uh, in a relationship or in being successful in, in all of this money and career, but rather be successful in his mission and that our biggest marriage is our marriage to King Jesus. Imagine if we prayed more like that. I mean, Mark Batterson says in in his book, The Circle Maker, he says, we pray as if God's chief objective and purpose is to make our lives more comfortable. Isn't that interesting? And it's true. I know how many times I've prayed more for God to comfort me and help me be like more at ease and make my life more easy instead of making my life more like his life. He continues and he says, we are willing to pray right up to the point of discomfort. We are willing to pray right up to the point of inconvenience, but not further. Praying hard is uncomfortable and inconvenient, but that is where you're getting close to a miracle. I know we we can say, God, help us be more mission-minded, help us be more humble, help us be more like your rule and reign is actually in our lives. But if it gets uncomfortable or inconvenient, will we continue praying? Well, what if being mission-minded requires me stepping up and sharing the gospel with somebody? What if me being more reigned and ruled over by my king and praying for that to become a reality means that I become a servant in my house and I wash the dishes without complaining and I take care of my brothers and sisters in my own home or my parents or my husband or my wife or my kids? What if praying for more of God's rule and reign in my life means that I get inconvenience from time to time and when a brother or sister needs help I I answer I answer the phone I answer the call I go out and meet them in their need what will I continue praying if my prayer life my prayer is mission-minded then I would 
But I think so much of my life, and maybe you, you can relate to that, is geared around prayers around our comfort, prayers around making our life a little easier instead of helping, instead of praying for God to be, for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, for his kingdom to come. Don't get me wrong, I think God does comfort the afflicted. He does. I definitely think he does. In 2 Corinthians 1, it says, The God of all comfort who comforts us in our time of need. So definitely pray for, for whenever you need comfort because you lost a family member or life is tough or work is not happening or things are getting really, really difficult. Pray for God's comfort. But you know, sometimes we need to pray for God to afflict the comfort. Like when we're too comfortable, we should get worried. Yeah, let's pray for God to comfort the afflicted, but also let's pray for God to afflict the comfortable. And if you and I are one of those comfortable people, we need to ask God to afflict us, to make us inconvenient, to make us uncomfortable so we step out and we live the mission that he called us to live. The second thing that I think Jesus teaches us about his prayer life, I think we can find it in Matthew 21. Very quickly, um, you, you can go there and read it, but, but simply put, Jesus just says, you know what? If you have the faith the size of a mustard seed, you can tell to this mountain, you can tell to this tree, depending on, on which gospel you're reading, Mark or Matthew, uh, you can tell them, go and be planted in the ocean and it will happen. And then, then he says that if you pray for anything and you have faith, it will happen. And, and I have no idea, I don't even know where to begin to explain what he meant by pray for anything. What he meant with his example of the mountain in the ocean or the tree on the ocean. Was he just being like radical and making a huge example, like a big hyperbolic thing? It might be, I, I, I don't know. But one thing that I definitely grasp from here is that Jesus is asking us to make bold prayers. I think Jesus prays miraculous kind of prayers. I think Jesus is asking you and I to be bold and to be crazy and to put it out there. And like we've been doing over the past two, three weeks, those 40 days of impossible prayers, pray for the impossible. How can a tree be planted in the middle of the ocean? How can you move a mountain? That sounds crazy and impossible. That's just a miracle from God. But if you dare to pray those kinds of prayers, if you and I dare to believe that God is actually the creator of all things and that when we pray big, we actually honor him. I mean, think about it. When you and I pray small prayers that we, we think we could kind of work it out, we are more, mostly depending on ourselves. We're saying, yeah, like God help me have... Um, a better quiet time, which is good. It's good to pray for those things. But I know that I could put myself and spend more time reading my Bible and pray a little bit longer, and I could be in charge of that. But if I pray for a mountain to be moved, how in the world will that happen? That's totally outside of my control. That means that I would have to totally depend on God. I think God is honored when we pray impossible prayers. I think it exercises our faith, it exercises our trust, it puts us in dependability towards God and it makes us to be totally reliant on Him. I had a conversation with a, with a sister the other day and she was saying, man, I feel like I'm over like my head here. This is way too much for me. And I told her, amen, I'm glad. And she looked at me look weird, like, what do you mean? And I was like, well, 
if it, it's over your head, the only thing you can do is pray. The only thing you can do is trust and rely on God. And I know sometimes things might be crazy and some of our dreams might seem too big and too impossible. But hey, what is it that God can't do? If, if he's the owner of all things, if he's the creator of all things, pray, big prayers, honor him. Because miraculous prayers are what he wants to do. He wants to perform miracles. He wants to show us what he's capable of. And if you ask him just to do this little tiny thing, he'll be like, okay, yeah, maybe. If it's according to his will, he'll do it. But imagine if we ask him to do something crazy and impossible. Maybe God's like, hey, now we're talking. Let's go. Let's go. Let's do this. That's what I've been waiting for you to ask. Let me show you how much more I can do. It reminds me of, of what, what happened to me the, the one time. Um, it was back in 2014, and I was, I was in a tough spot. Um, yeah, actually, it was 2013 now that I think about it. I was in a tough spot for things that I, I, I would be too bored. I, I kind of made some stupid mistakes, and circumstances happened, but I was in a place where I didn't have any income for about four months. And I was living in South Africa, but... Um, I, I didn't have any income and I was accumulating debt to pay my rent. Thankfully, I was able to stay in the place where I was, um, but I was accumulating debt because I owed month to month to month to rent. And, and I had a couple of roommates that helped me out here and there. But but I I mean, after four months of not receiving any, any income and you, I didn't have any savings, I was an 18-year-old kid. I didn't know what to do with my life. I was living from month to month and for four months, I had nothing else but to trust God. And and, and here and there, I, I would get some food and I would get a little bit of cash and I would work here outside things here and there. But but the point of the story is there's this one day where it was it was done. I was done. There was no food in the fridge. I had nothing. I, I had no income. I had no way uh, of knowing what was going to happen for the next week. Um, and I was stressed. I mean, I'm sure some of you can relate to that. What is the stress of, of not knowing where your next meal is going to come from. And, and I can't imagine how, how long that, that must feel and how hard that must be. But I remember sitting on my kitchen counter, just praying like, God, I have no idea what I'm going to do next week. I have no idea how, how I'm going to eat or where the next meal going to come from. God, I need your help. Um, and I don't think I prayed a miraculous prayer. I don't think my faith allowed me to make those kinds of prayers, yet I was still very young and very weak and very mistrusting of God. And I think to some degree I still am in many ways. But at that moment, I remember I just, I said, God, I trust you. And I was crying. I didn't know what to do. But, but I know you're going to take care of it. I know you will. <laughs> and, and I'm kidding you not, a couple hours later, I don't think it, it was more than two hours, somebody knocks on my door. And that's weird. Usually people don't knock on, on my doors. They first, have, they first call or they first ring uh, the buzzer, so I let them in. But somehow this friend of mine had come all the way in to the, the flat where we were living, and she knocked on my door, and I opened her. And she had these bags, these plastic bags, yeah? This bag's full of groceries. And her words were, God told me you needed groceries. And I lost it. 
I absolutely lost it. I was like, there's no ways. How how could she know? I didn't tell anybody. I mean, maybe she knew the kind of tough situation I was in, but she had no idea there was no food left in the fridge. She had no idea I had just been praying for that exact thing a couple of hours. She had no way of knowing. Yet God knows and God works and God moves and God can do way more than you ask or imagine. So let's just pray miraculous prayer and see what happens. Let's do what what we've been encouraged to do for the past few weeks, let's pray those impossible, miraculous prayers, trusting and believing, even if it's the size of a mustard seed or believe that God can do it, that God can fix our marriages and help us find a job and help us in our monthly expenses. But let's pray bigger than that, that the church can grow and that people will get out of the street. Let's pray for our kids and the future that they will have. Let's pray for our future. If we're young and we're wanting to know where we're going to go, God, I want to do this or accomplish that I want to start a movement I want to heal the broken hearted I want like pray miraculous thing I'm praying that God will one day use my wife and I to go to one of those remote areas where my wife comes from or where I come from those rural villages where nobody nobody gets access to to healthcare and I'm praying that God places us there and that people will experience healing but not just physical healing, spiritual healing, mental healing, emotional healing, that there's a holistic healing that happens when people come into that place, whatever it's going to be called, that there's leaves of healing in all of the ways. Like Jesus went from town to town preaching and healing. That's what I want to do. Well, I want my wife and I to go and preach and heal in those remote areas. And do you know what I'm praying for? I'm praying that every single person on that staff from that hospital or that clinic will one one day be there and they all will be disciples. Every single one. Doesn't matter if you're a doctor or a psychologist or just visiting or just like helping with the cleaning. Every single person is a disciple so that whenever a person comes needing something, they'll be encountered by the body of Christ, by brothers and sisters who lovingly, like humbly are serving those in need. I have no idea how that's going to happen or when is it going to happen or if it will happen, but I'm asking God and I'm asking God to help me pray even more impossible prayers because you know, when you dare to pray like that, you see miracles. I did not expect this lady, this friend of mine to knock on my door with bags full of groceries. I did not expect for that to happen, not even ever, but imagine an hour or two later after I just prayed. God is the God of the impossible. God is the God of the miracles. And if you ask him, he actually might listen. <laughs> you know, in James chapter 5, we hear what, what James talks about, this character named Elijah. And let me read for you quickly what he says, talking about this topic. Are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well. And if you have committed any sins, you will be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Elijah was a human just as we are. And yet when he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, it didn't rain for three and a half years. 
Then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. Did you catch that? Elijah was a man, just like you and me. James says there is nothing special about Elijah. He wasn't more spiritual, more godly, or different than any of us. He was a human being. He was just a dude. He was just a man. And when he prayed, God stopped sending rain for three and a half years. And when he prayed again, it rained again. You and I are like Elijah, just humans who have maybe the audacity and the boldness to pray for a miracle like it won't rain for three years. And maybe, just maybe, it might happen. Let's dream for the impossible. Let's pray for these miraculous kinds of prayers. The the last point that that, that I want to make for for what I see Jesus praying, it's it's a story that we can find um, not necessarily in Luke, but but you find it in the book... uh, In the book of Mark, Mark chapter 10. Um, Mark chapter 10. Let me just quickly get there. (laughs) Mark chapter 10. Quick story. Um, And and you can read it. I won't read it before you. But the the story starts from from verse 46. Uh, Jesus at Jericho. um, And there's this blind man who who shouts out, um, Son of David, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus kind of gets his attention. Like he's drawn to this man and he goes to him. So I'm going to read verse 51 for you. The man finally gets to Jesus. He calls for this man. He comes to Jesus and Jesus says, verse 51, What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked. Okay? Why would Jesus ask that? I mean, we obviously know this man was blind, so he probably wants to see. So why would Jesus ask him that? And I think that's the third thing we can learn about prayer, that, that Jesus doesn't only want us to pray mission-mindedly, or Jesus doesn't only want us to pray miraculous kinds of prayer. Jesus also wants us to pray meticulously. What I mean by that is Jesus wants us to get specific. Jesus wants us to put it out there, to say it with words, to write it down, to really get specific and ask God what we actually want. For, for the past couple of weeks, I've been trying to visualize this. I've been trying to put myself in that position that I wake up in the morning when I pray or when I'm throughout my day and I just picture Jesus coming right here in front of me and looking me directly in the eye and saying, what do you want me to do for you? I mean, if Jesus was asking you that question, what would you say? I guess if you're blind, it's kind of obvious. Like, I want to be healed. I want to see again. If you if you have cancer, you're like, God, please take away my cancer. If you don't have a job, I guess it's like, God, please give me a job. But sometimes we don't pray because we actually don't know what to pray. We don't know what we want. We're in this weird place where we don't know exactly what we want. So defining and being meticulous, being precise, being exact and specific about our prayers is actually a really difficult thing. So we end up saying things that are quite vague, like, oh, God bless me. Help me today. Um, yeah, may you make me a better disciple. Oh, amen. And it's like this huge vagueness put out there not even knowing if you don't know where you're heading like you might not know what to do and I think that's what Jesus is looking is that we get specific and the thing about being specific is that it means that we could get easily disappointed because I pray specifically for something to happen tomorrow and it doesn't happen I could get 
quite disappointed. But you know what? I, I found this out recently. Apparently, there's this guy. Um, his name, uh, he's from a church in Korea, apparently the biggest church uh, in the world at a certain point. <laughs> and, and he, his name is David Yonggi Choi. And he said this one statement, God doesn't answer vague prayers. And I don't know how you feel about that. I don't know what, what you think when you hear that. I, I don't know if you think it's biblical or not, but I kind of think he's making an important point. The same point that I think Jesus was making in, in, in Mark 10. What do you want me to do for you today? How can I help you today? If Jesus was right there in front of you, what would you ask? Would you get specific? Could you verbalize it quickly? Could you write it out there quickly? Could you put it out there? What can I do for you? What do you want me to do for you today? So yes, let's pray mission-mindedly. Let's have always the rule and reign of God in our minds and hearts. Let's pray miraculously. Let's pray bold, impossible prayers. But let's also pray meticulously. Let's be specific. Let's write it down. Let's dream big for God and write it down specifically what we want to see Him do. And let's wait. Let's wait. And yeah, He might say no. And that's okay too. It's okay if, if He says no. And, and I know sometimes it doesn't feel good. But, but you know, sometimes Him saying no might actually be prepared for a better yes. Uh, a quick story that I can tell you is that when I was in AIM, and some of you know what that means, but I was in this missionary program uh, before I came to South Africa. I was living in Texas for eight months with this bunch of teenagers who all wanted to do the same thing. And I prayed and I was convinced that God was going to send me to Ireland because there was a possibility for me to go to Ireland. And, and I was convinced that he was going to send me there because I knew a little bit of the religious kind of thing, being from Mexico and stuff like that. And I thought I could make a great impact there. And that was my prayer. And I have this journal where I wrote it down and I basically put it out there saying, God, I know you're going to send me to Ireland. And he did it. He sent me to South Africa. God said no to that prayer. And imagine if he had said yes. I can't imagine my life without South Africa. I, I mean, I wouldn't have never met the love of my life. I probably wouldn't be married today. I, I would have not known you, this beautiful family that I love and I adore and I miss. I wouldn't have been able to witness the miracles and experience the things like the thing I told you last week about how I felt Jesus touch me and cry with me. I wouldn't have experienced all of that all because God said no to one prayer. So sometimes we need to be a little bit less kind of hasty and thinking like if God is not answering a prayer, it means he doesn't love me. Maybe he loves you so much that he doesn't want you to miss out on all the other things he knows are ready for you. Sometimes a no is actually a better yes. But sometimes, and I'm aware of this, Sometimes no, it's just no. And there's no explanation and there's no reason why. I've prayed for people to get healed and they don't. I've prayed for, for things to change and they don't. I am still praying for certain things to change and they haven't changed. And maybe I just need to be more patient. But I, I know some of you, like, some, like me, we have experienced times of prayer where God just says no. And we lose a family member, we lose an opportunity or we lose our minds praying for this thing it just doesn't happen we want this family member of us to become a disciple they just never never change and, and it gets discouraging and i don't have an answer to that i don't pretend like i do but i do think that those times are the times where we can learn to trust god the most even if he doesn't answer or do what we ask him to do we can trust him that he's in control and he knows better and he knows why why we go through that. 
another mentor of mine, Dan Goodyear, once said, you don't need to know the why to endure the what as long as you know the who. I don't need to know why God doesn't do what I'm asking him to do. I just got to endure this. And how do I endure it? By knowing who is in charge. You know, prayer is sometimes not about changing God's mind. Another um, person, I can't remember who exactly said it, but he's, he quoted or is quoted by him that I pray not to change God's mind, but I pray so that he changes mine. Prayer sometimes is actually more of a dialogue than a monologue. You, you can pray and you can talk a lot, but, but I invite you to listen a lot. In your prayer times, when you go down to your knees, and I really pray, church, that we're all going down on our knees first thing in the morning like, like we've been encouraged to. I really, really ask you, go down to your knees every morning. There's something about our posture when we pray that really reflects inside what we want to express with our words. So let's go down to our knees. But I, I invite you, let God speak to you back. Sometimes in your thoughts, sometimes through the word, sometimes in creation. But let God speak to you. Let's have a dialogue, not just a monologue. Prayer is also about perseverance. We need to be meticulous. We need to pray miraculously. We need to pray mission-mindedly. But we need to pray with the attitude of perseverance. So let's keep praying. Let's not stop praying. I have a, a mentor of mine, Seal Thomas. He has that quote and he's been doing it since COVID started. It's been almost a year and he keeps on saying, don't stop praying. You can look for him on YouTube. You will love his sermons. But he is praying the same thing. Don't stop praying. There's a hashtag going on. And if you want to join it, join it. Put your impossible prayers out there and don't stop praying. Prayer is about perseverance. But you know what? Prayer is more than just petition. And, and I know I'm taking a bit long, but, but I'm almost done. I just want to read you what, what C.S. Lewis says here about prayer in this book, um, How to Pray by C.S. Lewis. He says, prayer in a sense of petition, asking for things, is a small part of it. Confession and penitence are its threshold. Adoration, its sanctuary. The presence and vision and enjoyment of God, it's its bread and wine. Petition, asking for things, it's just a small part of prayer. There's confession, there's transformation, there's worship, there's adoration. There's all these other things that God does when we pray. When we pray mission-mindedly, when we pray miraculously, and when we pray meticulously. So, who will you learn to pray from? And, and I really want you to take this seriously. Because I know in our family, there's men and women, brothers and sisters that are heroes to me in the faith that I learn so much from every time I pray with them. And I, and, 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 and I know that you know them too. And I, I'm asking you, I really am asking you, like the disciples, why don't you go to that brother or to that sister or maybe you all get together and you say, teach me to pray. And I pray that that person or that group responds the same way Jesus did. And instead of having this sermon on prayer, I wish I was more like Jesus in that regard. Instead of having a lesson, they just get together and pray. Because I'm telling you, 
one of the most amazing parts of your discipleship will be praying with other people and you will learn the most and you will grow the most when you're really deeply in prayer. When I lived in Texas, there was this man named Michael Isom who taught me so much about prayer. He used to pick me up at 4.30 in the morning. I'm not kidding. He used to pick me up at 4.30 and we would go to his living room and we would just pray, pray all kinds of prayers, pray on our knees, pray dancing, pray worshiping, pray shouting, pray in silence, pray with the word, praying the word, praying all these imaginary prayers, praying and praying and praying. And I learned so much and I grew so much and it changed me in so many ways. And I know it will change you. Who are you thinking about right now? Who can you go to and just ask, teach me to pray? We're all following Jesus. So we're all going to learn to pray from Jesus. Absolutely. But some of us have not as much experience as some of you. So will you teach us what you learned from Jesus? Let's not stop praying. Let's never give up on prayer. Let's learn to pray from each other. Let's learn from that person that like Jesus is just so close to God that you're like, oh, I want to pray like that person. You could ask them to teach you anything, but why not ask them to teach you how to pray? Because that's the fuel. That's the crack. That's the power behind the movement of God. That's the power behind your discipleship. That's the power behind our walk and, and relationship with God. If there's one thing we should learn to do, churches pray. And I have so much more to learn in prayer. And I hope that you do too, that we can all learn together how to pray. Let's pray mission-mindedly. Let's pray miraculously. Let's wait for those miracles and let's pray meticulously. But let's all together not stop praying.